It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I am Tony Vernetti from Feds Federal Employee Defense Services, and today is a rainy Friday, August 3rd, here in Washington, D.C. We are uh, halfway through the year already, so we thought this might be a good midpoint during the year for us to stop and think about some financial planning strategies for Freds and Feds and their families. So today I welcome back my good friend Michael Livingston from the Livingston Financial Group. Uh, Livingston Financial is a financial planning firm that specifically caters to and specializes in advising federal employees and their family. Michael, good morning, and thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Tony. It's good to be here. I should also mention that Michael's son is here, but he's hiding right now. (laughs) (laughs) So today we plan on talking to you about some financial basics for uh, federal employees. We're going to talk about the Thrift Savings Plan TSP contributions, what your fund choices are, you know, investment ba- basics, your withdrawal options, there are some new rules on the horizon there um, with the law that was passed last year. Um, so we're going to get into, you know, all that. But since this is a financial show, um, we're going to, and we're going to share some financial planning information with you. Um, we have to read some important and very exciting disclosures. Yes, uh, that Michael has has given to me to read. I don't know why I got to read the the boring part <laughs> simply because I'm I'm a lawyer. Um, but here we go. Neither Livingston nor any of its individual advisors are affiliated with, endorsed by, employed by, or under contract with any federal agency. Livingston's representatives are registered with and offer securities and advisory services through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Investors who choose to use the services of Livingston will do so independently from any federal benefit program. The information that will be presented in this show and presentation that we're going to give you was created for educational and informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as tax, legal, or investment advice. If you are speaking, seeking investment advice specific to your needs, such as advice services, must be obtained on your own separate account from this educational presentation. That's always a mouthful. (laughs) Um, I do want to remind our listeners that Fed Talk is brought to you by Federal Long-Term Care Partners. Long-Term Care Partners administers the Office of Personnel Management-sponsored Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program. For more information on that, go to ltcfeds.com. That's www.ltcfeds.com. So, Michael, let's start um, by having you kind of introduce your your firm to our our listeners and in specific, 
you know, the kind of niche that you have in, in dealing with the, you know, the federal clientele. I mean, there are a gazillion amount of um, financial planning firms out there, um, particularly in, in the Washington, D.C. area. But, you know, not all of them specifically cater to or, you know, apprised of all the, the intricacies of, of the federal government and the benefits that are available to them. So tell us a little bit about your firm and how you got involved with federal employees. Sure. Thank you, Tony. Well, our company, my father actually found it uh, about 30 years ago and been working in the local Maryland, Southern Pennsylvania, Virginia area with people. And uh, a number of years ago, uh, started working more and more with federal employees and seeing all their complicated benefits and all the different things they had available. So we, we decided to get a little more in depth on it, learn it a little better. Um, and the more we got into it, realized how necessary it was to have somebody who understands the benefits. So uh, we became Chartered Federal Employee Benefit Consultants, CFEB. you got to have an acronym if you're working with government employees. Right. So, uh, And that's a private group that does that. But what it means is that we actually take a test every year, stay up apprised, uh, stay apprised of all the laws and changes to benefits for federal employees. So we've been doing this for about 12, 12 to 13 years now, working with federal employees pretty much exclusively now and uh, helping them plan for retirement. Uh, transition into retirement is a big part of it also. Working with them, we, we provide seminars for different agencies, uh, and we work with people individually to do like benefit analysis and trying to figure out where people are and see if they're not just able to retire based on eligibility, but are they able to retire financially? Right. And, you know, sort of as the disclosure went, we're not here to you know sell you anything or try to pitch you, right. you know, anything. But I do want you to kind of give out, um, you know, your website, sure. you know, where people at the end of the show, if they want to get more information um, about the services that you offer, or particularly if you're um, a federal benefit officer out there listening um, and you want to potentially contact your office and maybe get one of these free seminars, these retirement seminars that you put on for various federal agencies, how can somebody get in touch with you with, for more information? Usually the best way is through our website, uh, which is www.livingstonfederal.com, all one word, L-I-V-I-N-G-S-T-O-N, federal.com. And then they can also just email info at livingstonfederal.com, and that comes right to me. And as you said, especially for a, a HR person, we provide those seminars at no cost to the agency. Uh, we come in and do it, and it's purely educational. We're not there to sell anything. We're right. there to educate employees. Right. Um, so it's 2018. So websites are important. So yes. we, we always direct them there. And, and I've certainly been on your website and it does have a lot of, um, helpful information. If you're just looking to get some basics, there's a lot of nice articles on there, some financial planning tool calculators, um, that are on there and encourage people, um, to check it out. So let's start, let's kind of frame the issue, uh, that we're going to talk about today, which is essentially retirement planning and, and just sort of financial planning, you know, in, in general. Um, so, you know, it seems like such a basic and simple thing, but, but tell us, you know, why is it important for federal employees, you know, to really start, you know, at all level, no matter what your age is, you know, where you're at in federal government, whether you're new, whether you've been around for a while, you know, while, why is it important you know, to think about that and to have a plan. Absolutely. I think one of the biggest things that's that's different for people now, uh, the, the generations that are working now, is that retirement, you, you have to plan now for probably 20, 25 years at least of retirement. 
Uh, I like how my business partner, Glenn, says it. He goes, you know, retirement is no longer the last chapter of the book. It's the last third of the book. Mm -hmm. And you really have to plan for it, especially as FERS employees, the the hirees, anybody after 1984, uh, which is majority of them now. There's very few CSRS anymore left uh, in working. Do you find any? Uh, We do. We do. Not many. Not many, but there are a few. But most people are FERS. When I ever come across them, I'm like, why haven't you gone fishing yet? They just enjoy their job. They enjoy it. So... But uh, for FERS employees especially, you know, there's three parts to their retirement. There's their pension, there's their Social Security or supplement, and then there's their thrift savings plan. And because they're not CSRS, they're not getting nearly as large of a pension. Right. Uh, and because of that, then they have to do some planning on their own. Supplements could go away. The Social Security, you always see the fears. Could they take it away? Could it go away? Uh, so really, the biggest area for them to plan with is their thrift savings plan. And that's that's where they have the most control over. And uh, I think it's so important that so many, especially young federal employees, to say, well, I'm 30, 25, 30, 40 years from retirement. I'll deal with that later. It's, it's you know, I tell people the best time to start planning for retirement is yesterday. <laughs> right. And get right. started earlier. Uh, and the earlier you start, the less you have to feel the stress and the pain of it with the sacrifice of putting money away because you don't have to do as much then right. at that point. Right. I was up with my friend, our sponsor, Federal Long Term Care, whenever I have the show on, my friend Joe Melanson, I always ask her, when's the yeah. best time to buy long term care insurance? And she's always like, the day before you need it. Yeah, right? absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, but your point is about CSRS and FERS, I think is, is a good one to make. You know, historically, Historically, when you know the old traditional pension-based system, it's like, look, it's my retirement. I get X amount. You know, yep. you know, I'm going to work for the government for a career. You know, I'll get it. With the new system, it's kind of more portable. It's more private sector-based. There's more moving parts, right? Um, because it's designed to be that way to, to to copy or mimic what's going on um, in the private sector. So because it's more portable, there are a few. Uh, moving parts, you know, you really do need to have a plan. Right. You can't you, just back into a good retirement like you right. could in CSRS. You right. Gotta, I mean, back you have when, to plan. when I was in the federal government, my retirement planning, every Friday, I would go to the liquor store and buy a lottery ticket. And, you know, that really <laughs> didn't work out for that, me. There are just, people that try that. So. It, it just didn't work out for me. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm here with Michael Livingston from Livingston Financial Group. We'll continue our discussion about your financial choice and strategies as a federal employee after this word from our sponsor. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I am Tony Vernetti, and I'm talking with Michael Livingston from Livingston Financial Group. So, Michael, um, let's lay out some basic financial planning concepts for our listeners. We were kind of doing that a little bit before the break, and we were throwing around that old familiar acronym, you know, TSP, you know, the Thrift Savings Plan, which for federal employees is essentially their 401k. Right. Um, so tell us a little bit about the rules there, you know, mm-hmm. and what their their options are. 
With the thrift savings plan, uh, like you said, it's it's really the government's 401k plan. It is run separately from the Office of Personal Management. Uh, and for them, you know, what I say with the with the thrift savings plan, what we like about it is the fact that it is, it's that supplement to the pension, their, their Social Security, those kind of things. What I really like, though, is the fact that thrift savings plan, you actually have a lot of control over that. And the fact that you're able to, based on how much money you put in, how you diversify your funds, is going to really set up how much money you have in there when you retire. So a lot more control than the pension and social security where you're just paying into it and you'll get what they tell you you're going to get. But the the bigger one for me- And not this, get upset. And not get upset, exactly. <laughs> and and the thing is, it's theirs. Like you said, if the government decides to get rid of pensions or social security or those kind of things, that TSP money is theirs. Right. Uh, and one of the biggest things also for me that the TSP that I like, and, and you mentioned about my son being here, is the kind of thing is- it, it can create an estate. It's actually something that you can pass on to the next generation where with your with your uh, pension and, and Social Security, for the most part, now there are exceptions, but for the most part, it stops with you and your spouse when you pass away, where with the TSP, you can actually set it up to pass it on to the next generation, leave a legacy, those kind of things. So, right. Never never sort of thought of it that way, but, but you're absolutely right. Yep. Uh, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to, you were talking about uh, the rules for it. As far as contributions, a couple things with that is the limits for 2018 are uh, 18500 is what you're allowed to put in that. And if you're turning 50 or you're already over the age of 50, you're allowed to do what they call the catch-up. Not catch-up on your fries, but catch-up, C-A-T-C-H. UP, uh, catch up, uh, of another $6,000. And uh, that that actually kicks in, Tony, when you turn 50. So if I'm 49, but turning 50 in December, I can actually start that now. So uh, on the 18.5, I think it's important that people know that that's like 24,500 you can put into your TSP every year once you're getting to the age of 50. I actually thought you were gearing up for a joke there because you know I'm just over 50. <laughs> I was not. I was not. I wasn't going to say a word. And you brought it up. But but the 18.5 is where, where I say it's a, a very important for people to understand is that, that that number you can put in for years, it was always you did a percentage of your salary. Mm-hmm. And people for a long time wa- thought that you could only do like 10%, 15%. You had, you had a cap on the percentage. Mm-hmm. Now it's a dollar amount. Uh, yeah. You can still put it in as a percentage, but you're allowed to go up to the 18500 is where you can go. So you don't have to worry about percentages as much. You can do dollars. In fact, I had one client, again, maybe jumping ahead a little bit, but he, um, he was going to retire at the end of March. And with his wife's salary and those kind of things, he was able to do this. He actually loaded up his TSP for the three months while he was working, he didn't bring home a salary. Right. So it was much higher than 15%, right. which everybody thought, but he was able to get the full 18.5 in there for the year at that point. So it's definitely a dollar amount you can do now. And it works out to be a little over $700 a paycheck if you right. do it every every pay period that you can do that. So very important to understand that. Now, on that, you can diversify it between the traditional and the Roth, which I know we'll probably talk about. Yeah, we'll get let's up. get into that in a second. I want to just sort of um, point out uh, or emphasize something that you made about kind of the difference between the pension and the, the, the CSRS and the new FERS, because a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, that was to the benefit of the government. You know, I don't necessarily, you know, think that. I think this, you know, gave it more portable. I like what you said about creating an estate. Um, this is something that you can, you know, plan for the future. You know, a good friend of mine, Mickey. Mickey's in town. Um, 
he's a he's a teacher for the state of New York, and he's got you know he always talks about his big pension he's going to get. And I always tease them that they can change that retroactively, yep. you know, anytime they want. You know, at the the TSP and this stuff, it's your money, and it's Absolutely. your money going forward, and you have all kinds of options and choices to make. So tell us about those choices, and one of them is that you were alluding to the difference between a traditional kind of IRA, you know, 401k or the Roth. Right. And where that is, is when your money goes in, um, you have two options now, the traditional TSP, which is the one that's been there for 30, 40 years now, and then the Roth TSP. And people have heard of Roth IRAs, maybe not understood them, but they've heard of Roth IRAs. And just recently, over the last couple of years, they've put in the Roth TSP. And really what it comes down to is taxes. And and to get in a little bit of there, and I, I do say I'm not a, an accountant, I'm not a tax expert, but just to understand how this kind of works on that level. But I have seen the movie The Accountant. That's right. <laughs> and I stayed at a Holiday Inn last night, right? Okay. <laughs> so no, no, but uh, uh, saying that, I, I say the traditional is the one where when you put your money into that, they are taking it out of your gross pay before they calculate your taxes. So it's what they call pre-tax. So it comes out, it goes into that TSP account, and it's not counted as part of your income now. So if I'm taking out, if I'm putting in eighteen thousand five hundred, my taxable income for the year is eighteen thousand five hundred less. Mm-hmm. So I'm not getting as hit as high as in taxes. Then it grows tax deferred, but then when I take the money out and and enjoy it, you know, use it for my expenses, mm-hmm. I'm going to pay taxes on that growth. The Roth TSP is going to be just the opposite. Roth TSP is going to say, let me put it in now, but count it as part of my income. So I'm not getting any kind of tax break on the front end. Let it grow tax deferred. But now when I take that money out on the back end, it's going to come out tax free. Is where you're going to be. Is there any sort of, because everybody asked the question, you know, which is better? When is it better? Um, and I know every, you know, just like you know, people try to get legal advice or insurance questions <laughs> with me. Every facts and circumstances are unique to every individual's, um, you know, set of personal circumstances. You know, but is there any sort of general guidance? Like a mix of the two is always good, right? You know, meaning okay, you've explained one's pre-tax, one's after-tax. Um, so maybe if I've got both of them, when I initially retire, and if I'm still going to work, you know, because that's Part of the retirement planning these days is a part-time job, absolutely right. Whether you're selling trinkets or doing whatever <laughs> at, at at the beach, um, you know, maybe then you want to take the Roth because you know that's already been taxed, and you're going to be you know have less money that's going to be taxed. And then when maybe you're not working or not earning as much money, you would take you know your traditional 401k where you're going to have to pay tax on the you know right. the, the growth or or what have you. I- I tell people that for me, I'd love to see a mix of both of them. Now, mm-hmm. here's a problem, Tony, for most people is most of us, the only thing we had for years was the traditional. Right. So the majority of their money is in the traditional. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, in retirement, you can convert that to a Roth. <laughs> problem is when you convert the money to a Roth, uh, you have to count it as income that year. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, if I'm converting 200000 in my TSP traditional to the Roth, all of a sudden, I've become very rich in the eyes of the IRS that year because I have to count $200,000 more of income. Mm. So that's usually not where we see it. But when, I, when you talk about that, I always tell people because of that, I usually look at the traditional TSP as being that portion that because it's usually larger. 
usually that portion that's going to be my steady income in retirement, that one that's going to provide that monthly income, the one that I'm going to pull out that I know what my tax bracket's going to be. There's not going to be any shocks each year because I'm getting the same amount every year or very close and, and it's just staying steady. What I like to Roth for is the what ifs, you mm-hmm. know, as well as I do, Tony, you know, things happen in threes, they say, but there's always something that comes up that was unexpected mm-hmm. where, you know, the brakes need to be fixed on the car, the hot water heater went up and your kids need braces. <laughs> and all of a sudden you might say, I need an extra 5,000. I need an extra 10,000, an extra thousand, whatever it could be. If I'm pulling that what if money from the Roth, now I'm not changing my tax bracket. I'm not changing my taxable amount. I'm not losing any tax breaks I might've been receiving on that. As far as where to put your money when you're starting, I always tell people it depends on when you want to get taxed. Do you want to get taxed now or do you want to get taxed later? I I say my kind of rule of thumb and and you know what I'm saying here. This is my opinion only. This is not a hard, fast rule is if my marginal tax rate or my adjustable tax rate falls anywhere below 22%, 20 to 22%, then I'm probably going to do the Roth because I'm at a pretty low tax bracket right now. I probably want that tax break later. Mm -hmm. If my adjustable tax rate or marginal tax rate is 22% or higher, 25% up to 30, 35, then I need that tax break now. Uh, I want to get as much of a tax break now because I'm at a very high tax bracket. Now, Mm -hmm. can I guarantee what tax rates will be in the future? No, but I know I could get at least a 30 to 35% tax break now if that's the tax bracket I'm in. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, that's just my personal opinion. That's kind right. of the, the cutoff point for me. Right. So you're, you're talking about, you know, the IRS code and things like that. So let me come in here and help our listeners. You know, <laughs> it's, you know, this is why you should get advice. Um, and it's not like necessarily you need to go to a financial planner. You know, there are a lot of resources that your agency has. Um, and you, should, you should go talk to people about it. You should talk as many people about it. Um, and see what other other folks are doing. Uh, but tell us a little bit about the investment choices that federal employees have. Um, and you don't necessarily need, you know, you know, you heard the word diversification. You don't necessarily need a financial planner to help you with that. You know, there are resources at your agency to kind of help you. Right. Again, I, I like you said, I think everybody should be educating themselves, learning uh, real quick before I get in that Tony, I forgot to mention one other big benefit for FERS employees is the matching uh, FERS employees get a 5% up to a 5% match on their TSP. That's another benefit uh, there that's in there. Otherwise known uh, as free money, free money, free right. money. And, and right. I, the one thing I tell everybody on that is all of your money, you could go all Roth if you want to traditional combine the two, uh, but the match money will always be traditional. I got a friend of mine, Jackie, who leaves that on the table every year. <laughs> and, and I and that's what I tell people, because then I'll get that with people where they'll say, Michael, how much should I be putting in my TSP? And I'll give the famous answer, well, it depends. <laughs> you know, And I always tell people the more the better, <laughs> but you got to at least get to that 5% as soon as possible so that so that at least you're getting that matching money. Because like I said, that's think about it. You're getting 100% return on that first 5% right. there. Uh, that's, you know, that's, Bernie Madoff couldn't do that well. <laughs> so I always tease people. So, uh, you know, that. That's that's free money. You don't want to give that back uh, on that. So make sure you're taking advantage of that. And that's another benefit for FERS that CSRS employees do not have on that. So on that. So as far as the funds, uh, there's really five funds that you look at that are available to uh, federal employees. Uh, the G fund, which is a government long-term government bonds, and we can get into these a little bit more detail if you want to. But first, just the G fund long-term government bonds. F fund is an aggregate bond index. C fund is your S&P 500 index, which is your large cap uh, uh, fund that you have there. Your I fund is your international uh, stock fund. It's the EAFE index. 
the S fund uh, is the Wilshire 4500 small cap stock fund. Mm-hmm. And your G and the F are more your fixed income equity side. Your C, I, and S are going to be more your equity side of your portfolio inside your 401k. Then you have the L funds uh, when we talk about it. Now, the L funds, to talk that a little bit here with the L funds, when you look at L funds, I tell people it's not new investments. It's just that most federal employees or a lot of federal employees don't know how to diversify, as you it's mentioned. Overwhelmed by the choices. Overwhelmed. And what's right. right for me at my age? I don't know. And again, what, like you said, it's always important to learn, educate yourself. But what the government did is they created these L funds to allow people to try to diversify their money uh, in a simple way. And what they did is they used target dates. So if you ever look at the L funds, you'll see an L income, L 2020, 2030, 2040, 2050. And what they mean is it's not so much based on when you're going to retire. It's just that target date. So if I choose an L 2030 fund, my mix of funds are going to be between those five funds, the G, F, C, I, and S fund. And as I get closer to that target date, they're going to move the funds to make them more conservative so they'll become more in the G and the F over the CINS. So if I choose a 2050 fund, I'm choosing one that's 30 plus years out. It's going to be a lot more aggressive, a lot heavier in the CINS. Whereas if I choose the L income, L 2020, it's going to be a lot heavier on the fixed income side, the G and the F, and a lot more conservative is what we'll say at that point on that side. So that's what you got to look at. It's a really good option for, for federal employees. And, you know, I would just say from, you know, even back when I started with the government about 100 years ago, you know, when all that was available was the G, the F, and the C, you know, they've, they've come a long way. Absolutely. You know, they've added these other ones. They're just as competitive as to what's out there um, in the private sector, and their fees are dirt low. Fees and that's a big low. thing, because, you know, fees can eat at, you know, you know, the expense, what's called the expense ratio can really eat at what your overall your overall return is and and you know look the l funds you know are, are a great option and and it's not like you're missing out if that's what you choose i mean as you know i you know i know just enough about investing <laughs> to do my own self real damage right right and so i like you know always look at it and i was looking at my wife's retirement plan she works in a private sector and i says maybe we ought to pick you know one of these kinds of target retirement date funds and she says well, what does that mean and I explained it. Well, we kind of like pick what we think your retirement date would be, and you pick a fund as you described. And then she says, you mean like tomorrow? <laughs> going to pick that date? I'm like, no, 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 no. Well, I not, will say on that with the L quite. funds, the, the L funds real quick, Tony, on that. And this is just, again, my opinion. Uh, with the L funds, they did create them without knowing anybody. So they're they're going to err on the side of caution, which right. I totally understand. Well, generalization. Absolutely. Yeah, this is a general. so, exactly. And because of that, what I always tell people, the only thing I get concerned about that with is if people choose a target date just based on the day they're going to retire, especially as a federal employee, you're talking maybe late 50s, early 60s, you might have another 20, 25 years that you have to and, plan for. And under FERS, so, you don't know. You Retirement don't. plans may change so, or you absolutely. may get a kick butt opportunity that comes in yep. and you're going to leave sooner so, than, than you thought. So you're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm here with Mike Livingston from Livingston Financial Group. We'll continue our discussion with Mike after this short break and a word from our sponsor. 
Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal law enforcement officer, then you know to do your job, you tap inside sources. To have a voice on policy and legislation, you join FLIOA. And when you want federal law enforcement officer news and up-to-date federal court decisions, you read FedAgent.com. If you aren't reading FedAgent.com, subscribe today. It's free. Don't let this source pass you by. I'm John Adler, president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, and I approve this message. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm Tony Vernetti, and I've been speaking with Michael Livingston from the Livingston Financial Group about financial planning considerations that federal employees at all levels should be thinking about. Hey, Mike, before we took the break, we were talking a little bit about um, these age-based portfolios um, or the, the L funds. Um, and I know you wanted to just pass on some information of people. someone's trying to decide between one, what right. are some... I, I, what I was trying to think on that is, and again, as I said, this is my opinion, is because they err on the side of caution, conservative, and because we're having to plan for longer retirements, 20, 25 years, if I shoot for, hey, I'm going to retire in 2030, so I'm going to go into an L2030 fund, the problem with that is when I hit 2030, I'm ready to retire maybe late 50s, early 60s, majority of my money, I mean a large majority of my money, is going to be sitting in the G and the F fund, which is going to be very, very conservative. And I'm not going to have a lot looking long term that's there to try to keep up with inflation and taxes, which we could do a whole show on inflation and taxes and those kind of things. Oh, but dear, uh, that sounds <laughs> riveting. Uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I say on that, because of that, you might want to look, and again, just my opinion, if I'm going to retire in 2030, I might want to look at a 2040 fund so that a portion, just a portion of my funds are still looking long term to try to keep up with inflation and taxes on, on the L funds. Again, that's my opinion, but something to think about for people. Let's talk a little bit about just, again, some just general um, concepts, some financial concepts. Sure. And one of the ones I want to, you know, throw out there, um, you know, I'm aggressive. You know, I always want to, you know, see fund if it was for me and, you know, and, you know, trying to, you know, make the most out of every investment or you, you look at the benchmarks and, you know, you know, the S&P returned 20% this year, yet my portfolio only made 9 or 10%. Right. Um, and the word I'm leading up to is diversification. Absolutely. And so what is that all about and why is it important? Well, I think with diversification, they all, you hear so many people talk about it because it's a way of trying to keep you from riding the big roller coaster is what I say. You know, it's, you're right. I can make those returns and have those big returns, but it also means when those funds have the bad years, I'm taking full advantage of those bad years also and taking some big hits. So when you diversify, the goal is you're trying to stabilize it a little bit more. Uh, what I always tell people is there's really three parts to any investment. And this is not even so much federal stuff, just in any investment. There's going to be growth. There's going to be income and there's going to be stability. 
So there's three parts on that, you know, and I, I laugh when you I have people. You don't talk about losses? I, <laughs> well, but but that's part of the stability is what I say on that. Uh, and when I say that, of what people want, and when I say that, when you talk about your investments. So I'll have somebody come in and say, Michael, I want to make as much as I can. I want to completely liquid, and I don't want to ever lose any money. And I'm like, oh, of course, absolutely. We got the best investment for you there. Uh, because everybody wants that. And I tell people, when you look at those three things, growth, stability, and income, they're really sharing one pie. So when you think about that is if I really want growth, then I'm probably going to have to make stability and income a little less of an issue for me, uh, make a smaller portion of my pie. Uh, so you think about that with the TSP, with the C fund, I fund and S fund, where there are more equities, they're out there trying to make those nice returns. Well, I got to understand I might be riding a roller coaster to get those returns. Yeah, I might average more over 10 years, but it's going to be a bumpier ride. So when you talk about uh, diversification and asset allocation and and things like what the L fund does to diversify you, the goal there is you're trying to get a steady return that you feel comfortable with. It, it really is a personal situation. This is why it's important to talk to people and talk to somebody about your situation. Uh, how much risk are you willing to take on? How much are you willing to, uh, to work towards? And by doing that, then you got to feel what's right for you to diversify your funds, whether that's through the L funds, whether that's through you just diversifying the funds on your own, whether you talk to a financial advisor, either way, you got to do something that's going to work for you. And especially in retirement, I tell people in retirement, I, I feel that the retiree's goal is not to try to beat the markets then or try to do as well as the C fund alone. Their goal is to try to get steady returns that'll be able to keep up with inflation and taxes throughout retirement so they can get some cost of living adjustments and have the lifestyle they've grown accustomed to and make it sustainable. That's the key. Anybody can have the lifestyle for four or five years. Can I make it last for 20, 25 years when I'm not earning a paycheck is where we right, get there. Right. And it's a, it's kind of a, a, a fluid um, evaluation, if you will. Yes. Um, and it's something that, you know, the changes from, from year to year. And it, it's something, you know, I know when we do these shows, we typically do them at year end as well. Um, you know, if folks ought to, you know, particularly at the start of a new year, at the end of the year, really take stock into, you know, what's maybe has changed um, personally, Absolutely. you know, and, and what my, what my goals are for the next five years, whatever. And, and usually around the holidays, things are a little bit slower and maybe that's a good time, you know, to reevaluate, yeah, um, you know what your goals are, and talk to your professionals at that point. Absolutely, I, I always tell people any any kind of plan you put together is not stagnant. Mm-hmm. It's a moving breathing, living plan, at least it should be, where what I set up at 20 years old for my TSP or 25 is not going to be the same as what I want my TSP to look like when I'm 45 as far as how it's diversified and those kind of things. So on that side, I look saying, you're right, it needs to be something reviewed. Maybe when you're younger, maybe every couple of years you're reviewing it, but definitely as you're moving later into your career, 40, 40 and over, you know, every year you're kind of reevaluating. As you said, things change. People go through divorce. People get married. Uh, their lifestyle changes, their job changes, right. and they might have to look at different things there uh, yeah. where they're at. And their their family situation could change. Uh, definitely can affect what they're looking for anymore. And also, I say the markets change. That's another big one uh, that you know this the stuff that maybe you don't have control over so much. But and I use two thousand eight as a great example. Um, before two thousand eight, everybody was loving the markets and wanted to be in them a hundred percent. And that's a, again, I'll say one of the downsides of of the TSP funds is it's five index funds. It's 
It's not, you're not going out here in any kind of crazy investment of doing some kind of emerging markets or, or value funds or right. mid caps. You're in five index funds. Right. So you can't, you can't go load up on you Amazon. Exactly. Or Tesla you're you're or pretty much in the market or you're out of the market pretty much. And uh, so what happens is, is people get a big hit all of a sudden that emotional involvement and it changes and now they're scared. And so I see people do it all the time where they'll swing from, you know, hundred percent in C fund and they go hundred percent to G. And uh, I always tell people anytime you go hundred percent anywhere, I think is very, very scary. Uh, either way, uh, whether it's, Hey, you're hundred percent risky in the market or you're sitting in G fund and, and, uh, you're, you're sitting there, you don't have a chance to make the money now. You're in fact, I G fund, uh, if you give me just a second, there's a couple of things about the G fund that I think can be concerns for people. Uh, number one right now, and I think it's important to talk to their congressman and, and, and people involved here is Congress is talking about changing the rules on the uh, G fund. The G fund is the only one that is only is, is specific to the thrift savings plan. It was created for the thrift savings plan. And it's a combination of some different uh, numbers like the 10 year treasury note, those kind of things. They're talking about trying to change that to make it almost like a, like just a savings account where it's not even going to earn two, 3% more like 0.1. So on that side, I think people should be very careful of the G fund that it can't keep up with inflation and taxes. The other thing about the G fund, as I mentioned, is it's the only fund that is because it's made up that is allowable for the government to borrow against. Uh, we mentioned the TSP is your money. You are correct. But the G fund, they can actually borrow against. In 2017, they actually started borrowing against it. Now, does that mean I think uh, nobody's going to be able to get their G fund? Like Social Security? I'm I'm saying they can borrow against it. And Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, do I think anybody will not get their G fund money? No. But I don't know about you, but the government has their hands on the pension, on the Social Security. I, I don't know if I like the fact that they could touch my money inside the TSP. And then the G fund, the other side of that, too, is... And this is a little, we could go more in depth on this later, but anytime we hit a debt ceiling, which has been a popular buzzword the last couple of years, and we've seen it happen a couple of times, when that happens, if you put money in the G fund, they don't, they can't invest it. It actually mm-hmm. has to sit in cash mm-hmm. until they pass the new resolution. Then they catch it up. Now they've always caught it up, but doesn't mean they have to, but they've always caught it up with interest and those kind of things. So G, again, even though it's not market risk, mm-hmm. there's risks even in right. the G fund and the F fund. And that's stuff you could talk about at another time, even about the I, risks. I want to spend just a few minutes talking about financial literacy for young people um, absolutely you know because it, it's something I've noticed um, you know and I'm not going to name generations and things like that but sometimes they're, they're either not taught it by their parents or you know schools are not dealing with it but we're at a, we're at a place in our workforce where the baby boomers are retiring you know there's this quote brain drain in, in the government and and you know they're replenishing it with younger workers because you mentioned you know you're you're Plans are different when you're 25 versus 45. But if I'm a 25, 30 year old new federal employee, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, right? You know, it's what I call the food and shelter argument. What Absolutely. do you do with your, you know, what charity do you give to? Well, I give, you know, everything's all my disposable income is tied up in food and shelter. <laughs> but why is it important, you know, for this retirement planning to be part of that food and shelter allocation for Absolutely. young people? Well, I think the biggest reason, Tony, is that if you look at any of the numbers that are run, case studies, anything, that when you start younger, the potential for you to have more at retirement is is so imperative to start young that you don't have to 
be crazy amount putting in. Even if you're doing $25 a pay, $50 a pay, it can really add up over a 25, 30, 40 year career. It's when you don't start until you're 40. Now you're playing catch up again at that point. Uh, But if you can start young and, and one of the biggest things I see is when people say, well, I'm paying off school loans. I just got married and we're paying on a home. We're having a baby, those kind of things. I can't those aren't necessarily bad things. Absolutely. Paying down debt and things like that are all, Uh, all but, but I tell people, you also have to be looking to the future. You have to look ahead. And the problem is for most of them, it's out of sight, out of mind. You know, oh, that's down the road. I'll get to it. Or I have more pressing needs right now, which I understand. And I tell people, I'm not telling you to try to maximize your TSP at that point and not be able to pay your mortgage. But you have to try to find a way to budget in to do something. And if you're leaving the match on the table, right? I mean, right. that's just free money free that money. you're not taking advantage right. of. You know that you absolutely you know should be, and and I say this for that one of the big things, and again we could delve into this deeper at some point, but uh, is the fact of if they're using the traditional TSP, it doesn't have to cost them as much as they think it does because right. it's coming out pre-tax. So if I say, well, let me do $25 a pay, I'm not going to see $25 less in my pay because it's before taxes. So I might only see a drop of $20 a pay, $18 mm-hmm. a pay. If I go $50, maybe I'm only seeing $35 out of my pay, but I'm getting $50 put into my retirement. So I think it's so important to start that early. Uh, and the other problem is, so so many times, and, and again, this is not into any one agency, but a lot of agencies don't do a good job of trying to educate the young people on their benefits of what to do and why to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. They just say, here's your options, you have this available, and they don't get into why it's important that they do it. Well, and I mean, you're, you're right, and I think agencies are busy, you know, there's yeah. a lot of things that are pressing commitments, and but I think, uh, you know, each individual should take ownership, you know, of kind of their own you know, financial situation yes. and be, and be thinking like that. It's part of your own, you know, you're excited in your new job, your new profession with the federal government. This is just, you know, an aspect of it. Um, in my opinion, we're going to have to stop here for our third break to hear a word from our sponsor to federal long-term care partners. When we return, we're going to wrap up today's discussion on the topic of retirement planning for feds by talking about what happens to the TSP money when you actually leave federal service, especially as a result of the newly enacted TSP Modernization Act. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We are entering our last segment of the show. Um, And Michael, I'd like to talk a little bit as it relates to the TSP. Yes, sir. Uh, There's really five basic options. Uh, You can leave it alone. You can annuitize it. You can take monthly income. You can do a transfer or you can do a full withdrawal. Take it all out. So kind of hitting all those. Uh, The first thing I want to talk about is that thought of if you're going to retire before 59 and a half, this is a big deal uh, for federal employees to understand this, especially if they're going to sit down and talk to somebody, which I encourage everybody to do, especially if they're getting ready to retire. Talk to somebody about the transition plans, making sure your paperwork's right. Everything's correct there to help you on that. So when you're going to retire, big thing, if you're under 59 and a half, there's an IRS rule that says 
if you are working for your employer and you have money in the employer-sponsored plan, so in this case, federal employees, government, TSP, that that TSP is accessible to you to take money out of to live on without having to pay an early withdrawal penalty. If people have money in an IRA, they've heard the stories of 59 and a half is what you have to wait till 59 and a half. And the whole reason for that is just to avoid an early withdrawal penalty of 10, uh, could be up to 10% is what it, and I, maybe it's not a penalty, a tax or whatever it could be early withdrawal, 10% on top of the taxes. So your TSP, you can actually take that money out of there to live on. If you've worked to, and this is the key, if you've worked to at least age 55, for the federal government or your special provision, air traffic, law enforcement, and you've worked to age 50. If that's the case, now that money is accessible to you from the TSP to live off of without having to pay that 10% early withdrawal penalty. So that's important to know because some people say, well, if I retire, I want to take that money and just completely move it to either my new employer's plan. I want to move to an IRA. Be careful if you're under 59 and a half because you could fall into now that money's not accessible to me until 59 and a half without a penalty or a tax, a, a extra tax is what I'll say at that point. So that's important to know, first of all, on that side. As far as the options, as I mentioned, the first one, leave it alone. TSP is one of those places you do not have to do anything when you retire. You can just let the money sit there. In fact, they encourage people not to even turn in paperwork to TSP until at least 30 days after retirement. Makes it a little tough on people that might need money right away, uh, but you're supposed to not turn it in because it takes that amount of time for OPM and TSP to talk to make sure everything's in the system that shows that you are retired, eligible, and those kind of things. So they say wait 30 days, but you don't even have to touch it then. You can wait leave it sit there, uh, still make the changes like you do while you're working where you can change it every uh, twice a month and moving it to different funds, uh, but you can just let it sit. Uh, the only time you have to actually start touching it is when you turn 70 and a half and they talk about uh, taking a required minimum distribution, RMD. Again, it's not their law, that's an IRS law that says they have to. So at 70 and a half, you have to start taking withdrawals. But before that, you can just let it sit there and just keep uh, moving your investments around like you did while you were working. Now, you can't put new money in. Right. You know, I can't get a new tax break or something like that. Now, I can convert money in. So if I have an IRA out here or an old 401k, I can bring that into my TSP. Mm-hmm. But I can't put new money in and try to get a tax break on it for that year. So right. that's the first and, option there. And again, a lot of people tend to, will tend to leave it there because, you know, it, it, you know, it is a benchmark, you know, the funds that they have. And again, the fees. Are, are you know as competitive as they are out there you know but they also have the option to roll it over they right? do and and, and you say that about that leaving it, I, it I think I think one of the big things on leaving it there too is it's with all the changes of retirement there's a lot of changes and it's very stressful I think that could also be just I know this I'm comfortable it's one less thing I have to change that I think that's another big reason why people just leave it there um, but as you mentioned the other options uh, just real quick as far as a transfer as you mentioned was an, like an IRA rollover IRA transfer is where you can take the money and move it either to a new 401k plan if you're working for a company move it to an IRA which is an individual retirement account that you're managing or you have somebody else helping you to manage and you have the money there why would people do that well the reason they do is uh, the diversification I think is probably the biggest one of you're now going from five index funds to the world is your oyster as far as uh, you can invest in real estate, you can invest in gold, silver, uh, you know, anything you want to pretty much uh, because IRA is just a term with the IRS. So you just set up an IRA account and then you can invest in what you want to. So diversification is a big one. 
there's a lot of um, withdrawal options. On uh, Usually on an IRA, you have a little more flexibility than you have had in the TSP. Now, the Modernization Act, as I'm, I'm sure we'll get into in just a second, is another you know another way that uh, is trying to be competitive on that side. But are there any sort of, are there different kind of rollovers or any things yes. that you need to be concerned about? Is it is it different for somebody who's maybe met the minimum retirement age versus you know, somebody like me who just left after 10 years of government service? Well, I think the biggest thing is what they call a direct transfer versus um, indirect rollover or Mm -hmm. indirect transfer. And really it's, it comes down to who's the check made payable to. Mm -hmm. If the check is made payable to the company. So, and again, I'm not, I don't even want to say a company, but just any kind of investment company out there, because I'm not trying to support or promote anybody. Company ABC. Uh, Company ABC. If the company, if the, if the check is made payable to ABC company, then they're not going to withhold taxes on that. They're going to send it directly to them. They're just you're just changing the custodian. So there's no tax situation there. If I do an indirect rollover, it means send the money to me first as the employee. Send it to me. Just make it out to me. Then I'll decide where I want to send. IRS rules say that you can do that within 60 days. Mm-hmm. If you move it in, it's not a taxable situation. The problem is for TSP employees or federal employees with their TSP is if the check is made payable to you. TSP is automatically going to withhold 20% federal taxes, mm-hmm. which means if I'm saying send me a check for 200000 I'm only getting a check for 160000 I put 160000 in. Well, that means $40,000 is getting counted as income that year that I got to either make that up somehow with other money or just count that as income for the year. So it's, it's you know, be very careful there. If, if so, you're but, in the movie, but how is that directly. counted as, so they're just withholding taxes because right. they're not sure what I'm going to do with that. Absolutely. And I have 60 days to, to just get it into a proper rollover where I'm not penalized. But Where's the problem the is, but, but the problem is, is you're getting 160. You're only getting a check for 160,000 in the right. case I used. Right. Well, they show a dis- distribution of 200,000. They paid his check, so even if I'm gonna get the taxes back. It's gonna, it's it's gonna show up count, as income. That forty thousand is showing as income, so yeah. you're not gonna get the full forty back. Is the problem? I actually problem. think so, I made that mistake. So and it might have, <laughs> might have. People have done it. So on that side. So, uh, but there's also a lot of new rules now uh, with the TSP and uh, the Modernization Act that's happened is changing some of the games. Two of the other options that you have with the TSP are you can annuitize it, which. In basic terms, you're setting up a second pension is really what you're doing there. Problem with that, usually with the annuity, uh, unless you choose certain options, and again, there's a lot of different options. You need to talk to somebody. You're pretty much saying that when I die, that money's gone. It's not getting passed on to the next generation. I'm not creating an estate. I'm Just give me my amount of money. I don't want to worry about the stock market. I don't want to care about any of that. I just want to get the most I can get out of this now, knowing I lose control of it is pretty much where it is. The other option is to do monthly income. And that's where you can set up and say, hey, send me $1,000 a month or send me whatever I can get based on my life expectancy. And they're going to send that to you monthly. Where that's been an issue is up to this point, you've only been able to make a change of that once a year. Uh, If you take a lump sum, you've only been able to take a one-time lump sum pretty much in your lifetime. So there's been a lot of restrictions on that that has held the TSP back in being competitive uh, on the private side. Well, the Modernization Act that's come that's come along that was just signed in December, the TSP Modernization Act, uh, is changing some of those rules. Let's talk about that. What sure. are what are the changes? Uh, first one is the multiple age-based withdrawals. So one of the things the, the government has is if you work to age 59 and a half, they allow you while you're still working to take a withdrawal out of your TSP. Now, up to this point, it's only been one time that you could do that. That's changing now to where they're going to allow you to have multiple withdrawals 
withdrawals that you can make while you're still working prior to separation uh, that you can either have that as a transfer to an IRA, take that as a withdrawal to yourself, whatever it is, but you can do it while you're working if you've worked past 59 and a half. So that's the first one there. Uh, second one. So I can say, look, I want to take half of this that's in there and I want to set it up yep. with this outfit. You can do see it while how you're the working. performance works. And then if I like it, when I am ready to retire, maybe I'll join yep. the other or I'll keep or I'll further diversify. Exactly. And up to this point, you've only been able to do that once. And with the Modernization Act, which right now we're hearing is going to go into effect September 2019. It's been signed into law, but the actual implementations won't happen until September 2019 for them to get all the things written into place. Uh, on that. So again, you're going to be able now to do that multiple times uh, once you, if you're over 59 and a half, you'll be able to do that. So that's the first one. Uh, the other one is one of the biggest things I thought TSP had a problem with was if you had money in traditional TSP and Roth TSP, anytime you took a withdrawal, it came out pro rata. Mm-hmm. So if I had 50, 50% of my money in traditional, 50% in Roth, I got half my money taxable, half my money not, and I couldn't choose. That's a fancy word, so it had to come from both. Both places, uh-huh. equally percentage-wise. Right. So, And where I think that really hurt people was if they got to the point of having to take required min- minimum distributions. Because if you have a Roth IRA, you don't have to take RMDs out of that. But the Roth TSP, you did. So one of the things they're changing now is saying that in the Modernization Act, they're going to be able to say you can pick and choose. Do you want the money coming out of traditional? Do you want the money coming out of Roth? You can choose how you have that money dispersed based on if you have traditional and if you have the Roth. Uh, also, uh, one of the things they had for a long time was at 70 and a half, if you hadn't done anything, I told you you didn't have to do anything until then, uh, they would make you make a permanent decision. I want monthly withdrawals. I want to take the whole amount. They had You had to set up as a finalize, this is what I want to do. Now they're saying, no, you don't have to do that. You just have to take out your RMD. You have to take that out, but you don't have to make a decision. It even had it where, this is kind of small print they used to have, is if you didn't take your RMD at 70 and a half and set up a plan, that you forfeit your TSP. And you had to actually put into writing that you wanted to get the money back. Uh, Again, that's going to change now. Uh, You just have to take the RMD out at 70 and a half. And then finally, I think the biggest one is being able to change the monthly payments in retirement and the lump sums. In retirement, as I mentioned, if I did a uh, monthly payment, I had to set that up that that happened and I could only change it once a year. Now you're going to be able to change that monthly, the amount you want. And if you want to take a lump sum with it, again, you were only able to take a one-time lump sum before. Now you're going to be able to say, hey, I want to take my $1,000 a month, but I need to get 10000 right now. Those kind of things. So th- these modernization acts are really some good stuff. It's really going to help out, I think, a lot for people. Uh, it's going to give them a lot more flexibility, uh, make the TSP more competitive. Understand, though, these rules do not go into effect until September 2019. People can make changes uh, then, even if they've elected some things now, but those cha- changes will not happen until at least September 2019 we're hearing right, right. now. Right, and I imagine that OPM will be starting to put out some guidance you yes. know, about uh, it as, as it gets ready to roll TSP.gov is a great website to go to, and yeah. just go to their forms and publications, and you'll find publications on the changes and when they're going to be implemented there. Great. So that's all the time we have for today. It always goes fast when we talk money here. Mike, thanks so much for spending some time with me and sharing this important information with our listeners. I am Tony Vernetti from Feds. And just a reminder that Fed Talk is brought to you by the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. See you next time and have a great weekend.